Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 69 of the Bible in 90 Days. We're in Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, and going through chapter 10 of Zechariah. Habakkuk 1 is an interesting read, beginning with this question directed at God. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? God's reply in part, Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians to seize dwellings not their own. God's reply continues, pointing out the fierceness of the Babylonian army. Then Habakkuk asks a question, challenging God. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? In this second complaint, Habakkuk is contending with God over what appears to be a great injustice, evil powers being free to do as they please, gathering the masses, as it were, into fishnets. Habakkuk 2, by the way, a chapter well worth reading, finds the prophet awaiting God's response to his complaint. And it comes. First, with an instruction, though. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets. And Habakkuk must also wait with patience for things to work out. Then God begins to answer, first by acknowledging the arrogant work of the plundering forces. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. God's answer then turns to a series of woes uttered against the ruthless plunderer. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. And this promise from God. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you. The chapter ends, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Habakkuk 3, by the way, another chapter well worth reading, is a prayer. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Then we come to Zephaniah. Zephaniah is also a contemporary of Jeremiah's during the reign of Josiah. His prophetic ministry was directed at the kingdom of Judah. Zephaniah 1 begins with a declaration. I will sweep everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. And the entire chapter is sobering. 
Be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole earth will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end of all who live on the earth. Zephaniah 2 urges the people to seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Then the warning turns to Philistia, Moab, Ammon, Cush, and Assyria, warning of coming disaster. Zephaniah 3, the final chapter, calls out Jerusalem. Woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. And then we're on to Haggai, the first of the minor prophets mentioned as a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah in the post-exilic period, that is, after the 70 years of exile. Haggai supports the work of rebuilding through his prophetic ministry along with Zechariah. Haggai 1 is a call for the people to support the rebuilding of the temple, beginning with a rebuke to the people for neglecting it. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? God then invites the people to give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. God then explains that because the people had neglected the rebuilding of the temple, he had called for a drought. Thus, the land simply wasn't producing to its full potential. This aroused the people to act and they began again to rebuild the temple. Haggai 2 begins with Haggai encouraging the people to take up the work of rebuilding, assuring them the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. The chapter also invites the people to recall the way things were before they had begun rebuilding the temple. And then God says, from this day on, I will bless you. The final verses in the chapter are a prophecy of coming calamity and a promise to Zerubbabel that I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. And now we're in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah's prophetic ministry paralleled, at least overlapped, that of Haggai. His ministry filled a critical place in seeking to establish the faith of the returning exiles. It's important to keep in mind the post-exile audience to which both Zechariah and Haggai spoke. Zechariah 1 begins by urging the people not to be like their ancestors. Where are your ancestors now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Then the people repented. 
Next, the prophet had a vision of a man standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. Behind him were red, brown, and white horses. The man then explained that the horses were the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. The horses returned with the report that the world was at rest. The conversation then turns to a question. How long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah? After this, God communicates with the prophet that he is not happy with how the nations have treated his people, with whom he was only a little angry. They went too far with the punishment. Next, the prophet sees four horns and four craftsmen representing the forces that had scattered Judah. Now they themselves were to be thrown down and terrified. Zechariah 2 finds Zechariah seeing a man with a measuring rod to measure Jerusalem. The entire chapter is a promise of God's coming to deliver and restore his people while bringing justice to those who have plundered them. After the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Zechariah 3, by the way, a chapter well worth reading, is a rather amazing prophecy, perhaps the most powerful chapter in the book. The chapter begins, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Then Joshua's filthy clothes were taken off and his sin removed. Then clean clothes and a clean turban were placed on his head. Then God promised Joshua a place of honor, provided he was obedient. The chapter also includes a promise that God would remove the sin of this land. Zechariah 4, by the way, another chapter worth reading, finds Zechariah seeing a gold lampstand and two olive trees in a vision. The oil from the olive trees finds its way into the lamps to keep them burning. Zechariah is puzzled by the symbolism and God answers. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Through this vision, Zerubbabel is promised. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. In the end, the meaning of the olive branches giving of their oil is this. These are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Zechariah 5 contains two visions, a flying scroll and a woman in a basket. The flying scroll represented the curse that is going out over the whole land. For according to what it says on one side, every thief will be banished. And according to what it says on the other, everyone who swears falsely will be banished. In the vision about the woman, Zechariah sees a basket with a lead lid, and inside a woman. The basket represented the iniquity of the people throughout the land, and the woman 
wickedness. Two women with wings like those of a stork carried the basket to Babylonia, where it was to be put in a house being constructed especially for it. Zechariah 6 begins with a vision of four chariots coming out from between two bronze mountains. Each chariot was pulled by different colored powerful horses, red, black, white, and dappled. These represented the four spirits of heaven going out from standing in the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The final section of the chapter describes the prophet making a crown for Joshua, the high priest. A message was to accompany the coronation of the high priest. Here is the man whose name is the branch, and he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. The crown was then preserved as a memorial in the temple. The chapter concludes with a promise about the rebuilding of the temple. This will happen if you diligently obey the Lord your God. Zechariah 7, a chapter well worth reading, describes how the people made the pleasant land desolate. Though they fasted, they were doing it for themselves. While God had desired them to administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another, do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. They had instead refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and covered their ears. Because of this, God had made this assessment. When I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen. In Zechariah 8, God declares, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. This restoration would include the elderly once again sitting in the streets of Jerusalem and the children playing there as well. The message also contains the encouragement to let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. God also promised, the seed will grow well, the vine will yield its fruit, the ground will produce its crops, and the heavens will drop their dew. I will give all these things as an inheritance to the remnant of this people. The people were not to be afraid, but full of courage, because the providence of God was for them. As they worked to rebuild society, they must also determine to build a just society. In this new era, the fasts would become times of joy, and many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord. Zechariah 9 begins with declarations against multiple cities and peoples, including the land of Hadrach, Hamath, Tyre, Sidon, etc. This section ends with the declaration, I will encamp at my temple to guard it against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. The next section of the chapter includes a promise applied later to the Messiah. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will proclaim peace to the nations. The final section of the chapter declares that God will come to the defense of his people and that he will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. 
They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. Zechariah 10, by the way, a chapter well worth reading, is full of hope. And instead of summarizing, I'll simply quote some of the best lines. Ask the Lord for rain in the springtime. It is the Lord who sends the thunderstorms. He gives showers of rain to all people and plants of the field to everyone. The idols speak deceitfully. Diviners see visions that lie. They tell dreams that are false. They give comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wander like sheep oppressed for lack of a shepherd. My anger burns against the shepherds and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord Almighty will care for his flock, the people of Judah, and make them like a proud horse in battle. I will strengthen Judah and save the tribes of Joseph. I will restore them because I have compassion on them. They will be as though I had not rejected them, for I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. And that's all for today.